Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hi guys, this is Yasser here and uh, with another episode of our podcast and with us we have Brian today and uh, Brian McCarson has an amazing uh, experience uh, in, in the top industry so I will just start uh, by asking him to introduce himself and his organization. Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've uh, I've been working at, at PackSize now for a few months, just recently joined after a longer stint at Intel Corporation. Uh, I'm thrilled to be at PackSize, given that it's the leader in industrial automation for right-sized packaging solutions. And uh, being in an industrial automation solutions company is uh a phenomenal experience at any stage, but in particular now with AI becoming so commercially available, it's completely transforming the way not only companies uh, interact with uh, the market, but everything from how you develop the tool to how you monitor the machine, how you service the machines, how you uh, uh, work with your customers is all going through one of the funnest transformations I've seen in 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 my multi-decade career in industrial automation. Right. So I have a look. I was looking that you graduated in '96. I actually myself graduated in '97, and and I remember that AI was there at that time also. It's so old. So how do you see the transition of AI over these two almost three decades now? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I when I finished graduate school, I, I was studying material science in Double E and started working at Motorola. And I was enticed to come work at Intel in the year 2000. Uh, Intel had this vision of creating a lights out factory uh, mm-hmm. where raw materials come in and finished goods come out without ever touching human hands. And I was just fascinated by this concept. Uh, in addition to you know, the, the amazing products and the phenomenal transistor technology that, that Intel was producing, to think that the most advanced manufacturing processes ever known to humankind could be transitioning to a fully automated and autonomous uh, system as early as you know, 20, 23 years ago to me was, was mind-blowing. And so I, I I joined up with Intel then and was able to help with some of the first implementations of fully automated systems in the area of the factory that I worked in. Uh, but honestly, the AI tools that existed then weren't particularly sophisticated. I would argue they were more of nested if-then statements than they were true artificial intelligence. It was just... I have 15 different if-then statements, each with their own nested if-then statements, and they're all properly looped back together. That can seem somewhat magical if you watch it in action and feel like it's intelligent, but really it's just more of a nested decision tree. Uh, but over that time frame, even just a few years later, so early 2000s, uh, the industry started switching to using some very basic 
pattern recognition, computer vision technologies to help with defect quality control. Uh, we had these complex microscopes, scanning electron microscopes in some circumstances that were able to look at uh, microscopic images, find problems, be able to start to, to look for similar features and create uh, acknowledgement of patterns so they could to classify and then perform statistical analysis on things. That was a pretty remarkable stage. That was very early in the computer vision cycle as we're talking again, you know, 15, 18 years ago. Uh, and then now you see the full democratization of AI where uh, you have you have users of artificial intelligence capabilities all the time that don't even realize it's AI at work, whether it's a, something as simple as a as a clever filter on on a Zoom call to blur out the background, but but not blur out my hands even when my hands are moving, to a Snapchat filter or uh, something on TikTok that you're using. Uh, uh, these these base capabilities are embedded in everything that we do, and we sometimes take for granted how prevalent they are. But now the opportunity is really around what do we do to make this commercially scalable and beneficial to the whole enterprise, rather than one-off you know, cool cool tricks. And and that's the fun stage that we've transitioned to in in AI. Now it's much more commercially available. But scalability is is a challenge, right? So how do you uh, having? I mean, you you just joined Backsize a few months ago. I mean, you can you can share your older experiences also with you. How did you use AI in your professional career, uh, in your previous organization, and now in in Backsize? Well, yeah, I I touched on a few of the examples back in the very early stages of of my my joining Intel. Uh, in, in later stages, really AI was being used to try to help solve major customer problems. And there's, there's some of these that are I'm extremely proud of that are publicly available information, like things that were, were done between uh, my team and, uh, and, and John Deere to improve the quality of welding in their factories. Uh, work done with uh, you know, large automakers in Germany like Audi to improve the operations on their factory floor using either machine learning or deep learning techniques. Uh, so you know, using AI to help solve problems that are holding back an organization is something that to me is very, uh, very exciting. Uh, uh, but I, I joined pack size because I see an enormous opportunity to change the way industrial automation works and to use artificial intelligence to drive additional customer value. Uh, what's amazing about pack size is, you know, being a world leader in innovative packaging solutions. Uh, if, uh, if you have a, a, a right-sized, uh, package delivered to you, there's a lot of technology that goes into that. Uh, I think we've all experienced from some e-commerce uh, vendor that sends a box to our front door and uh, you open it up and it's a huge box with a tiny tube of toothpaste in it. And you're like, what a complete waste of cardboard. We're smarter than that as a society. And we've got to be able to not be as wasteful. Because not only is that a waste of cardboard, that filled up space in a truck. And that truck used fuel and that uh, that took time and 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 put more co2 in the atmosphere 
uh, and took more space in a warehouse and it took more trees to cut down in order to uh, to get that cardboard. If you could just deliver the right sized package to make sure those goods get to the consumer in a way that protects the goods but doesn't waste space, money, time or energy, we can do some amazing things to help improve the environment. But there's a lot of AI capabilities that are required to make that happen. And some of the things that are happening right now within this uh, amazing company of PackSize is, uh, you know, if you've got an order fulfillment organization that's getting all these online orders and every order is unique, everybody's yeah. buying a different combination of things. How do you put that in the most efficient container possible? And this is one of the things that PackSize does really well. You could scan things as they come across a conveyor belt, determine what's the most optimal way to put that in a package to save space, and then automatically wrap that package around it, actually do the boxing for it uh, in an automated way, seal that box up, put a shipping label on it, and send it off to go to the customer's address. And in the meantime, uh, you know, saving millions of tons of CO2 a year in that process and saving companies money and delivering a better experience for customers. It's really like five key wins in doing that, but there's AI needed to run the machinery. There's AI needed to scan the objects coming into the machinery. There's AI needed to operate, uh, optimize the entire flow of how things work through a factory in order to fulfill it properly. AI needed and even how do you decide what's the best way to, to put all these things into a truck and then properly get it to um, the, the customers in the most efficient way possible. Um, in all of these circumstances, AI is being used today uh, to help deliver better business outcomes and improve uh, uh, the, the value that companies can deliver. But there's still so much farther that we have to go. Even today, what we're using, I would say, is still rudimentary artificial intelligence technologies compared to where I think the industry will be in the next eight to 10 years. Right. This sounds like really exciting. And I see so many AI fields uh, in utilization here, for example, vision to see and recognize the object. And then, uh, then you can do some kind of forecasting to have a kind of uh, prescriptive analysis kind of thing where system can suggest what kind of packaging is needed and then algo how to ship it how to how to store it how to place it so there are so many areas where you can where you can apply this AI thing over there great so uh so it's it's a very it's a very uh, genuine and, and uh, useful use case generally people find difficulty in finding the right use case for ai but this is a very very perfect example of uh, of a better use of ai so what kind of challenges are you facing or did you face while doing all, all of these things? A few things have been really, uh, really major challenges along, along the way. Uh, one is uh, certainly uh, getting the right data set together where the data is in a format that you can make it useful. Uh, if you think about how humans have been constructing databases for the past many decades, a lot of our basic database structure has been around ones and zeros structured in tabular formats. And, and being able to, uh, uh, to have a structured database that you can search through to be able to find correlations and train data sets 
uh, is, is easier and, and more commonly used in machine learning type use cases, uh, but can be more challenging when you also have a machine learning use case and a vision use case at the same time. Because not only do I have to have this this rows and tables of, of data, I've got to also correlate that with some three-dimensional image as well. And I need to somehow extract context out of that image. Things that the human eye can do instantaneously is much more difficult for a database to be able to do. And then being able to establish context on top of that. So, okay, I have 10,000 images in my database. Now, what do I do with it? Well, it's of no value if I don't have some classification capability, if I don't know what's good versus bad, if I don't know what's a feature that I'm interested in versus a feature that I'm not. And so one of the biggest challenges in AI for me has been scalable training of AI data sets to produce an algorithm. And that algorithm you can use to deploy on a factory floor, into a machine, onto some environment, uh, but do that in a scalable way. And you know, some examples that I can I can give of, of those challenges, in addition to the database structure challenge. Once you've got the database structured properly, you go and test in a real environment and find out, wow, this, this didn't work the exact way I thought, um, but I got it fixed. It's working well in this one test factory. Now I'm going to go scale it to five other factories. Now I'm going to scale it from my first test machine to five other machines, um, from one user to five other users. And then you find out everything breaks. Uh, why? Well, one factory has skylights and one factory doesn't. Uh, and now the optics completely changed in my factory environment. I have to retrain everything because I trained in one optical environment and I deployed in a different one. Um, uh, you have different users who have different language preferences, different world experiences. If you ask different people to train a data set, they might see something different. Well, no, that, I don't consider that to be a defective part. Well, I do. Um, okay, well, if two different people training, you get two different outcomes. Uh, so to, trying to help address the scalability of deployment is also another pretty big challenge as well. And then the world of AI is changing every day. Uh, you know, the, the adoption of, of chat GPT is uh, commonly cited as being one of the fastest adoption curves that humankind has seen in technology adoption. Uh, things that don't exist today will be uh, commonly referred to and dominantly talked about in AI discussions next year. We don't even know what those are yet. There's going to be the equivalent of chat GPT that no one's talking about today that everyone's talking about next year. And you have no idea what that is. But do I have to go upgrade my enterprise next year to be ready for that? How do you prepare yourself for what you don't know exists yet? And so the probably the third challenge that I would describe, having talked about the first two already, um, is how do you make your AI solution future ready? No such thing as future proof. Uh, you don't know what the future is going to hold, but are are you and your team thinking about the challenges you're likely going to face next year and the year after and are designing things in a way that can be configurable or reconfigurable? Are you using microservices type architectures to design your solutions so that you can then make a quick change and then deploy it on, on the fleet? later? Are you coming up with good ways to update training data sets that's less labor intensive if you do add another factory, another machine, another user in a different environment? 
just thinking about how you can make your AI solution future ready is is really, I think, probably the the third barrier that that I've encountered over over the years. Yeah, so it's it's very difficult way you said to predict futures. You cannot be future proof. You have to somehow make it configurable and and adaptable, uh, adaptive enough so that it can adapt to the changing environments in future. That's right. So, so with all this, uh, I I think you already have touched where the industry is going. So, where do you see uh, the industry? Uh, the industry will face challenges. Uh, because what we have seen is that industry, as I, as I said earlier as well, the, finding a right use case for AI is difficult. I, I find industry struggling in because we do selling and, and people people want to adapt to AI, but in, in a typical scenario, they, they find it difficult to find the right fit for AI scenario because AI uh, sometimes does not give you the right answer. So the areas where you can, you are fault tolerant also, where you can, where you can uh, absorb some errors also. So that's one of the areas where I find uh, AI, uh, where I find regular and uh, our uh, industrial users or they are, they are, they're not, uh, what should I say? They're not very optimistic, or they are. They are. They have their doubts while it, while going for an AI thing. So, what do you say for for an, an industrialist or or scientist of future? How should they adapt, or how should they look at AI? Uh, and how courageous should they be to adapt to it? How? What are the difficulties? What are the dangers of adapting uh, an AI based solution? Uh, for example, in your case, uh, you were one of the objectives was to to lower the lower the wastage because AI is also not perfect. Did you actually lower the wastage, or there were better packages but wastage was not was was minimally reduced? So, what kind of experiences are you? What do you what do you think about the future industry? I, I don't. We cannot predict the future, but what do you suggest to the future industrialists? How how should they? Should they be optimistic, or should they should they have their own doubts about this technology? Yeah, have your doubts. I think that's healthy. Um, I'm I'm a I think I'm excessively optimistic about the future that AI holds, but I recognize that there's several decades of work to actually achieve that ideal state. <clears throat> so for me, I think maintain that optimism with a healthy respect for how immature the technology is. Uh, and it, there's a big difference between cool tools that can be applied in one use case and something that's actually scalable across your enterprise. Uh, having said that, I've, I'm fortunate to have been deploying AI solutions for over two decades uh, in practice at scale to drive better business outcomes. So I've seen the evolution uh, as it's unfolded over the last few decades. And we have added an increasing level of sophistication and ease of use for advanced capabilities. And the, the, the biggest breakthroughs that I've seen in many, in the last, you know, I don't know, five years or so have been the advancements in natural language processing, audio processing, and advancement in, in, in vision capabilities. Uh, and the fact that the world has adopted open source technologies is both a blessing and a curse. 
uh, it's a blessing in that it seems like anybody can go off and do something with a tool. Um, but trusting open source technology to run your enterprise seems pretty scary for a lot of companies. And so uh, being, being optimistic about where things can go, but I think a lot of industrialists right now are, are grounded in reality. And the reality is that we're on a maturity curve and there's a lot more hype around AI than there is actual deployment capability in a lot of enterprise use cases. Now for personal use, tons of fun stuff, but when lives are on the line, when businesses are on the line, when customer service requirements are high and you can't get it wrong, uh, then, then you've got to really be cautious about where you deploy AI and make sure you can actually do it in a scalable way. So I, I think a lot of optimism uh, with uh, 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 a healthy level of, of realism incorporated into that. Um, now, some of the things that are ready today is making every factory floor safer uh, by having a vision system that's out looking for when robotic systems could be coming into contact with a human. Um, having no system in place versus having one today, we can make almost any camera detect a human with an extremely high degree of accuracy. Um, if you can just connect that signal to a robot and say, pause, you might hurt somebody, those kind of solutions are ready on the factory floor today. Scalable, low costs, implementable tomorrow. Uh, that level of AI capability is, is there. Um, being able to have a robot uh, self learn about how to do dynamic pick and place on a conveyor belt um, and, and handle a whole array of products coming through, even if those products are changing. And no, the world's not quite ready for that in a scalable way just yet. Can you pre-program a robot to do a repetitive task with extreme accuracy? Yeah, we've been doing that for decades in the automotive sector. We've been doing that for decades in semiconductors. So I think it just comes down to how much freedom do you give the AI system? And are there small subtasks or subsystems that you can assign with a high degree of confidence for an AI tool to do that? And I think the answer is yes. There's lots of subsystems that can benefit from AI but we're far away from uh, artificial general intelligence. That's just not, not, not anywhere close to, to where the industry's at. And how about artificial consciousness? Oof, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an even crazier, uh, crazier concept, which I, I, we, would, we could do a whole podcast on, on that one. Uh, uh, lots, of, lots of thoughts there, but that's definitely getting a little bit more esoteric and forward thinking. Really nice having you, Brian, on this call and uh, really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, we touched a lot of things and, and a sense of optimism. I can see the industry is going in, in the right direction. Thank you so much for being with My us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.